This is the Compiling Podcast with Rob Z and Friends, where I talk to technical experts about their day-to-day work and what they do in between. For more information, visit compiling.publicgeeking.com. Thanks for listening. This is the Compiling Podcast with Rob Z and Friends. I'm Rob Z, and today we get to talk to my friend Adam Duvander. Adam has written for and about developers and technology for Wired, WebMonkey, Programmable Web, and other publications, and is the author of a few books, including his latest, Technical Content Strategy Decoded. He's also my go-to person to send folks to when they need someone to help them nail the developer marketing. Today we're going to talk about his thoughts on reaching developers and communicating the value of your products to them, and provide some good tips to help you as you approach this valuable yet elusive market. We then launch into his adventures in home automation, which, turns out, is an area that could probably also benefit from a stronger focus on developer experience. I love getting to sit down and chat with Adam. This this felt like old times sitting in the airport on our way to and from conferences or sitting in, between, in the lounges in between acts and everything. So, I mean, this was a fun conversation. It felt really good to talk to him again, just like it is to talk to all my friends again. So let's dive in. Okay. Okay. That's what I just just double checking that I didn't want to to tell you that live and have you. Have oh, I'm shocked. Like, no, but I will because so, it's because so, it's so new. Yeah. All right. So let's. Yeah. yeah. You know what? We're gonna launch into it. So first of all, I know who you are. I'm very excited to talk to you because it's been too long since we've had a chat. Adam, tell everybody else who you are. Yeah, Adam Duvander. I am the founder of Every Developer and have been in the dev content space for a long time and that's what every developer does uh and if you go way back i mean i think when we met i was the editor of programmable web yep. so talking all about apis apis and, uh, and that's definitely still part of my world yeah but it's expanded significantly and actually give me give us a little bit of background about every developer like what kind of work are you actually doing what are you focusing on and who within an organization are you targeting with this work right now? So most of our clients are within the uh, marketing departments of their orgs, and they have they all have technical products, and they have this problem, which is how do I speak to this audience, this technical audience, in a way that will attract them and eventually have them use our product, and. That's the, I mean, that's the overarching problem that they all have that every developer goes and and tries to help them solve. Uh, And that is really understanding who that audience is. What are the problems that they're looking to address? What are the tools that they use? Like, how can we understand these various ways to be able to connect with them that actually does go back to the programmable web and, and wired and web monkey kind of time before that, my journalistic past, which sure. I know you have too. Uh, Who knew it was going like, to be useful still the... in technology, right? This is great. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's the hook? Why is someone going to actually care about this? Right. And, um, and so helping identify those things and then going after those topics and being able to, to be that trusted resource. That's what our clients want to be. That's anyone who wants to reach a technical audience. That's going to be the the best way to do that. Now you've you've written a handful of books, but your most recent <laughs> two. I'm not. We'll talk about the second one in a second. The most recent one, but yeah. the one that that's been out for a good long time that I highly recommend is Developer Marketing Does Not Exist. Now, first of all, this kind of creates a little bit of an existential crisis. Wait a minute, I have to do developer marketing, <laughs> and now you're telling me it doesn't exist. I have developer marketing in my title. What the hell am I doing here? Yeah. What are the challenges that marketers have reaching developers? Why do you? Why does every developer have to exist? Why is this book worth writing? What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, and so. I'm always careful to say that that developer marketers still have to exist. I mean, I, I work with them all the time. I know I know that they exist. Existential crisis uh, averted. Yes, yeah. But the the work that they do, the developer marketing that they do, um, they need to do it in a way that doesn't seem like marketing. And uh, the technical audiences are extremely skeptical. That's their job. That's yeah. actually like. If you literally look into their code, 
what are what are all those uh you know if statements and and whatever for it's <laughs> the logic is what's doing it right yes yeah it's it's all uh it's all like oh this could go wrong in this horrible way let me be skeptical about this right like try catch error that is the that. job yeah and uh <laughs> and so then they're naturally going to have that same approach um with when they're confronted with something that looks like smells like marketing no when um, we say it looks like smells like marketing like what yeah. developers look i know they're a person that can be bunched this is something we've talked about extensively in the past is something that i think every marketer kind of understands to some degree it's because like you say they're looking underneath the scenes of what's going on behind whatever you're putting out there they understand it better than the marketers do all too often and so their response yeah. to this can be they're persnickety. That's the best way I say it. So like yeah. when we talk about traditional marketing, what are these things that traditional marketers are doing that developers rub negatively against? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the easiest one to identify um, is hyping your product, talking a bunch about your product. Um, there was a post. So I, the, the last job before every developer I had was at Zapier and uh, I worked to market the platform, which had to be used by fairly technical people. Yep. And I wrote, uh, I'm going to just say a great blog post. Uh, Pat yourself uh, on the back. I'm sure it was great. Uh, about authentication methods. And um, and it was, it was long and it made very few mentions of the Zapier platform, but it did make a couple mentions in it. And one developer tweeted about how how great the post was. It was like, I think he wrote like this, like th you know, all of this, all of, and this. then he wrote, except for the marketing spiel. <laughs> this is a this is a great post. I was like, what marketing spiel? I went back and and looked, and I actually I did a trick that I use that I recommend other people use too, which is the which is Control F on your keyboard. Mm -hmm and put in your product name or your company name, how many times is it mentioned there? And there were very, it was like three, pretty much right near the very bottom. It's like, where do you go from here with your authentication methods, right? Like, and that I bring that up just to, to show just how skeptical, like, I don't think I would change anything about that post. And it wasn't like everybody said, this is promotional. It was this one, one person. One but... bit that's just like talking about the yeah. fact that you had the audacity to mention your company's yeah, name. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta pay those bills uh, though, man. Yeah. And and never mind that the of course, you know, the entire site is Zapier at that point. So of course they know where they're reading it. <laughs> uh yeah. But um but so that's the that's the the like that's the Stuff that's the most obvious there, right? So I mean, it's... and then the other one. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. The other one that you you kind of picked out a little bit there um, was uh, that it's not authentic to mm -hmm. the developer. It does it. It doesn't understand sort of their place and some of the easy ways to easy. I'm I'm about to say don't say easy, and I said easy. <laughs> <laughs> I said. It's, some of the natural ways, Rob, to to nice. be able to <laughs> be able to identify those are some of those words like easy and simple and highly scalable and the things that that like you want to say because it sounds makes your product sound really great and it might actually be true about your product also like your product might be <laughs> all of these things, but still by using them it's like oh there is some marketing speak. And it's like, it's hard to recover from that to be able to build the trust after after that. So, I mean, to some degree, it sounds like the problem is less about the messaging and more about, well, I kind of say this, like, it's like the, the polish, right? Like, we're naturally somewhat skeptical of this idea of like, wow, you're really slapping all these pretty words and big colors and shiny things in front of this. Let me just dig under the hood. Let me actually see how this thing works. Don't, you know, don't tell me. Let me discover it for myself. But at the same time, 
if I'm trying to evaluate a whole bunch of vendors and I need to kind of set them up side by side so I can shortlist it, I still need to have some idea of you say you're the fastest. What makes you the fastest, right? How do I dig into that? Right. How do I resolve that as a marketer? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think so sometimes you'll, I mean, the classic marketing is don't speak in features, speak in benefits, right? Mm -hmm. But then when that goes to the flowery, hand wavy type of benefits, then you'll, you'll even, I mean, devs will say like, just show me the docs, but that doesn't actually uncover some of those things. Like all of the work is then on them, but they'd rather do the work than, than be told the sort of shiny version. Right. right? So, so it's, how can you, how can you dig in there and say, okay, what would they do if they did the work here? And how can we, how can we help show some of that work? And some of the, so launch darkly is one that I often point to who has done this really well to say, so their primary product is feature flags. And they've said, yeah, you want to create feature flags? Here is, here is your, here's wh what it actually takes to do that. You know, it might sound like it's just a, a, a Ruby gem that you install and then you have feature flags, but here's the uh, extra work that goes along with it. And here's the nice things that you would want to have if you implemented feature flags, but, oh, that's probably not going to come in something that you install, <laughs> right? It's you, There's some additional work that takes some infrastructure to be able to piece that together, right? And they'll they do a great job of walking through, here's what you would need to do. You can build this. You are a builder. You, you're capable of this. Oh, by the way, we've already built it. We've already built it. And here's how long it's going to take you to yeah. build it. Here's how it's going to be for you yeah. to maintain it, which is, I mean, that's a great message for anybody who's in the mix, right? I mean, I don't want to add to my technical debt. I don't want to add to my technical load. I don't want to <laughs> yeah. have one more thing I got to worry about. So if I can get this, you know, SaaS product that does it for me, even though, you know, we are starting to see some of that kind of trust erode from some of that because of, the, you know, some of the things going on in the industry and stuff like that. But still being able to prove that point and then being able as a developer to come in and prove it back to myself. I think that's the yeah. critical piece. So that kind of goes into a little bit of the developer experience side of things, because it's one thing to get developer attention and to get them to want to have some interest in what you're doing it's something completely different to leave them with a sense of confidence that that they they're, they're being understood their needs are being met and a lot of that comes from developer experience like not just the documentation not just you know what the website looks like but all of that put together what are these elements of developer experience that are so critical to get right. What do you tell your clients? And I mean, it's in the book as well, but I mean, like, what do you, yeah. what are you telling folks? So, I mean, what you, what we often hear is about that kind of time to first hello world, that initial experience. And it is absolutely important. And so the, the equivalent in your product might be onboarding. Like, yeah, that is, but so often that one little moment is focused on by, folks, including myself and, and my team, we, we spend a lot of time looking at what is that moment, but recognizing that there's a whole bunch that happens before, and there's a whole bunch that happens after. And so how can you look at some of those things and expand that journey a little bit beyond that one moment? Yes, you want to get that moment down with as little friction as possible to get someone started, but... Uh, you know, what's the, I mean, the thing right after getting started is, okay, you've done some hello world. Now what's the, what's the next step? And so mm -hmm. often we'll read the end of getting started guides. And it'll be like, you're done. Wash hands, walk away. Right. Like now you have a system. Uh, Go learn how to use yeah, it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. My favorite is click here to see the rest of our documentation. <laughs> and then <laughs> and now, you know, the rest of the story. <laughs> And, uh, and then that's the, you know, that, that is the, and maybe that's based on, on the developer saying, just show me the docs. Cause yeah. you know, uh, it's there, but there's, you know, what are the, uh, sample apps, if that makes sense for your product? Um, what are the integrations? What are the, like, what are those next steps? What are common use cases beyond just beep? It worked. Right. So 
being able to look for those that's to me part of the experience and uh and then i mean if you go all the way to the beginning it's how does someone even hear about you right 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 like uh yeah what is the the first way i mean one of the reasons why we're so focused on content is that is a great way to attract someone in the first place and if you do that in a way that builds trust then you have you have a much better chance of them even trying getting to that getting started absolutely so um and yeah little things uh so i mean there are there are 13 elements that's uh that are mentioned in the in the book i'm not going to make you go through all 13 buy the book people it's a good book i'm telling you (laughs) Uh, you can go also to dxquiz.com and you can kind of, if you have a product, you can kind of answer that for oh. yourself. Um, and, uh, but one of the ones is, can you even find the developer section from the homepage? Right. That's Which, a fun little game, right? There, there are use cases where someone just sends the developer site to their developer. That's fine. I get it. But I think being able it tells you a lot about how how developers as an audience are perceived within the company whether you can find your way to the developer section. Right. I'm I'm not asking for top nav uh you know level unless that's the level that your company is. I mean you you go to a Stripe or a Twilio which we you know class classically are mentioned for their DX and well, even though they're API first most of their audience, right? Like primarily yes, exactly. that's really why yeah. they're so focused on their DX. Yeah. And you will still find a developer menu up in their global nav, even though you might say, Oh, all of their all of their customers are, which of course that's not the case for both of them. They've right. grown large enough that that uh that it isn't, but still they have that. But yeah, you know, I'm just asking for a a place in the footer some some developer message some way to know that this is for me when i show up there because i mean that's my background too and so yeah we we're we're cheering on behalf of the developers because that's that's what we are also (laughs) right i always tell folks you got to go down to the bottom look for the developers link or the api link and if it's not there and if it's not in the top nav i mean yeah. How is anybody going to find you? Yeah. And so like, and you, yep. you've said this, so like a big part of this, how do I attract the attention of developers? How do I get them here? Content is one of the key ways to go about doing this, making sure, and it's not just marketing fluff. It's got to be content. As you say in the, in the developer marketing does not exist book, it's marketing that educates it. It's, it's marketing that creates knowledge and helps these developers, you know, not just further their knowledge of what your product is, but potentially, help with other things and help kind of expand their knowledge that might help them with their career and the rest of their work. For example, your authentication blog, you know, you're not talking just mm-hmm. about Zapier yeah. there and not just talking about authentication in reference yeah. to Zapier. You're talking about it in general. So now it becomes yep. something that's helping me in this immediate moment. But when I run into it again, cause it's a common p- p- uh, pattern in, in web development, I'll know what to do. So yeah. figuring yeah. out how to get this content together, I'm going to assume, cause I've not yet received a copy. I've not yet got my hands on a copy. I will. I have to. I have to purchase it directly from you. I understand, which is awesome. Your new book, Technical Content Strategy Decoded. I know nothing about it. Tell me, how does this tie to the first book, and what are you going to tell us in this book? How are we going to learn from this? So, if the if the first book is philosophy, this is where you take action is oh, nice. in this new book. So it's it's everything that we do when we work with clients the process that we go through and how can how can you take that through with your technical audience and your team and follow that same process and create content that is more likely to resonate than the kind of you know just willy-nilly grab the <laughs> grab whatever technical topic is nearby <laughs> and put you know put some code in it and say this is technical content let's publish this good enough and, get it out uh, yeah, and um, I think that in a lot of times when when people say we've tried content, it hasn't worked. It's because because of that sort of not having not understanding the audience well enough to to create a strategy that 
you can follow and your team can follow. So, I mean, that's the first step, it sounds like, is you got to really identify who this audience is, understand their needs. What is the hallmarks past that? You know, if I understand the audience, I've done the persona development. What are the hallmarks of a good content strategy? Like, what should I be looking for at my team to to say that, hey, we're doing it right or, hey, we can improve on this? Yeah, the the idea is to to not be reactionary to all the sorts of topics that uh, that come up that you could cover, and uh, and really think about which concepts is how I describe them in the book versus topics. Which concepts are something you could have many topics with many different angles on, and it's it's like think of something that might be large enough that you would have a it would be in the categories menu of of your blog if you had one right like what would be the what would be the three categories four categories and i mean you could you could create the next year's worth of content on just those four concepts with multiple topics that are kind of going at different different angles at similar ideas content on the same theme so i mean before uh, you got a whole knowledge base right exactly yeah Nice. Okay. All right. So it's it's about like identifying the audience, knowing what those topics are, but then how do I translate that into actual content? So right now we're living in a really interesting time. Um, I we're both, as you said, we both were journalists, which means we both have a, a certain love for the written word. Um, yeah. Two things that are going on kind of simultaneously. One is I've seen a major transition away from people seeking long form writing and preferring things that are more to the point. The best example of this is like the, I think it's the Axios website where they cover politics and news and they do it in kind of a bulletin Mm -hmm. format. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to see if not that exact format, kind of a similar concept emerging where, you know, just the facts is, is really where the focus is. (laughs) And then the second challenge I'm and, and, and what I'm also seeing as a result of that, I should say is a shift away from the written word more toward some combination like a hybrid we you know video is now easier it's faster to to produce and and for people to download where you know you and i both remember a time when wow that was just not going to happen i was i'm very impressed we've gotten where we are um so the format of this content is changing so part of it is trying to figure out what's the best format but then the other challenge that we're seeing and i think you know i see it in your faces i'm i'm asking about it large language models are now kind of shifting what i think uh, the trust landscape is the best way of saying this. You know, my concern is that ChatGPT and some of these other large language models can be used to flood the zone with a lot of information, which may or may not be good, but not all of it trustworthy. So, with that in mind, like, how should a marketer focused on developers approach their content strategy and approach how they? they talk to developers in this new world how do, how how can we build trust in this new world yeah so that's that's a giant <laughs> a giant question big hairy ball so uh but i think there is a common thread that goes throughout all of that and i'm not a a video master i definitely you know that's not the type of content that we produce i but for a video to be successful, for a long-form blog post to be successful, for that bulleted point version of something <laughs> to be successful, it has to have a point of view. And, uh, and so having that angle on something to, to avoid the curse of the generic, mm. which is what I write about in the new book, um, is, and that's, that gets to to the large language models as well, right? Like they, they aren't able to take original angles on something. And, um, and that's, that's the thing that's going to make all of those pieces of content, regardless of, of how they're created and what format they're in, that's going to be the thing that makes them more likely to succeed versus, other content that happens to use the same keywords or, you know, be about the same 
topic. That's, I mean, I think that's interesting because it, it goes back to talking about the first book again, building authenticity. Authenticity is what's going to sell. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm hearing you say here is that having not just a unique voice, but an authentic voice in a way more of a human voice. And so, you know, when practicing thought leadership, for example, there's this temptation to want to write like a dry tutorial or a dry guide, just the facts, just get that out there. Like I was saying before, but if I'm imparting some of my own personal experience, my own personal voice in that, yep. that's really not something that a large language model is is really capable of doing yet. How, like, from from your standpoint, what's the best way to insert one's self into that communication to to build that authenticity? So I most of the most of the people who are doing this are going to be representing a company or a product right and so their individual opinion might not be as important though it is helpful to put in as the opinion of the product mm. and that's that's something that i'm i'm not sure everyone always thinks about but i i believe that every product every company has opinions and <laughs> it's it's right. That, I mean, it, you can go back to why, why, did, yes, yes. Why was this founded? Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, why does the product work this way? Those, there are opinions within that. Absolutely. And if you can identify those. That's what makes that content different. And so if you're, if you're writing something using a, a, a language model to write something, it's going to write using probably the, the most general opinion that it can find the, you know, the, the status quo. Yeah. And that's unlikely to, to, uh, to stick out and unlikely to, to jive with, with your company's opinions also. So, um, but that doesn't, so being able, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It, it makes me then think though, like if you train those large language models to focus solely on the kind of content we've already put out and, you know, speak with the voice of, you know, my evangelists, my marketers, my et cetera. I mean, you might get in the very least a friendly chat bot or something <laughs> that, that reflects the personal brand of the company and the opinions yeah. of the company. I, I get a lot more excited. Uh, and it's probably, probably beyond the scope of our conversation here, but I get a lot more excited when you start directing some of those, like yeah. the all human knowledge is, is pretty amazing, but it, isn't as interesting as when you're able to really kind of focus in. And, um, and I think that we, we haven't even seen the beginnings of no. people are still trying to bend, bend the, the large model to a particular area, but that's different than saying this is, this is the entirety of, of your knowledge. Now what comes right? Like, I think, that gets more exciting when you try to boil the ocean you wind up just with a lot of water right or a lot of steam yeah. you gotta you know spend some time actually digging into your specific areas that's how you build authenticity and with these large language models you know i like that i like the idea of like being able to focus and train them and then use them for something that's a little bit more meaningful um and i still i wonder then like the way that i look at this emerging and evolving is these models will start doing more of the, I hate to say this, but like kind of the boring boilerplate marketing, like the stuff that shows up, you know, on the site that kind of explains briefly what the product is. And that, that's still important. It's good for SEO. It's good for people to find that information, but I think it also potentially frees the human writers up to focus on things that are maybe more meaningful that require more human depth that require a little bit more human analysis. I, I agree. And I would say that they can be more editors of that first type uh, of content yeah. also. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's part of the, the speeding up, right. Is if you have first drafts, uh, then that's <laughs> you, a lot of the heavy lifting has been done and now you can say, Oh, I don't like this. I do like this. Editing and curation. These are these are like yeah. skills that are so critical for the web to begin with, and I, I feel like we've centralized too many of them. We need to spend. I think marketers need to spend more time, less time learning about writing, more time about editing, curation, and figuring out how to fit that to to their audiences. Yeah. And of course, yeah. developers themselves within those organizations should then 
participate, you know, provide feedback, but also provide some of that content and provide that voice. I love it. So technical content strategy decoded. When is this? This is now out, right? How do I get a hold of this? It is out. Uh, everydeveloper.com slash books. Okay. There'll be a link. There. Find them both there. Awesome. The, the links are going to be down in the in the show description, so as well as for everydeveloper.com itself. And you said dxquiz.com. Tell me a little bit about that yeah. real quick. It goes through and asks some questions that should be able to be kind of factual questions about, about how your various elements of DX are set up and comes out and, and gives you a, a first version of a of a score, which is much <laughs> like the ones that we do uh, when you know our team spends hours within your product and uh, looking at those thirteen criteria and come up with a score and much more kind of here's some information about what we saw with fresh eyes. Well, you can kind of get an approximation of that uh, that same process in just a couple of minutes, and all you have to be is. Uh, completely truthful about, uh, <laughs> about it requires about honesty <laughs> that's right well that's good that should work out just fine <laughs> but this yeah. is really like it's a, it's like a, a version of the evaluation your team does but it's more of a high level yeah. you know general audit and if you want to get really in depth and want to get the real value take that score and bring it to the every developer team. yeah yeah cool hey i wanted to break in here real quick and Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support this podcast and help keep it going, please visit compiling.publicgeeking.com forward slash support to find out how. All right, back to the conversation. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit because I want to talk about some stuff that I know you've been working on that actually is of interest to me because I'm trying to figure it out too. Now, you told me that you were working on wiring your home to for, for more like home automation. What are you doing? Is this your pandemic project like out of control? What's going on here? I'm uh, generating new curse words. <laughs> uh, it's, it's great use for large language models. I have a have a have a small language model to <laughs> create new curse words. So it's I'm as a as a fellow techie, you know, I've paid attention to all of these kind of connected home things for for a long time. I mean, uh, back in my uh, SendGrid time, so 2013, 2014, uh, one of the evangelists was playing with Philips Hue lights mm. where you could change the light colors and stuff. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I got some and, and, and played with them for sure. But I've kind of transitioned now. I mean, we have those somewhere that we bumped into the, the, um, the like hub for it, like that only controlled those three lights, right. like <laughs> uh, somewhere uh, just the other day. And it was kind of like, what is this? Huh? <laughs> it, haven't used it for a long time. And that's, so I'm, I'm now, I think in my second phase here, I'm trying to be more practical with how I approach that fun that you can change colors of lights and things, but, uh, but I'm trying to really get at the things that I'm, um, you know, that, that impact the everyday. Uh, so, I mean, here in this office, I'm, uh, this is detached from our house. So, oh, okay. um, and so every day I'll come out here and I unlock the office. And for the longest time, I would swing the door open against a wall. And then I would have to reach behind that wall to turn on a light to be able to have light out here. And eventually I realized there's, there's an actual solution for this. And so I ordered a, ordered a connected uh, switch already had, had a smart things hub, I think, but maybe, maybe that was when we got the smart things hub, but uh, the lock here is, is connected also. So every time that the lock unlocks, the lights go on and that, solves what we want uh 99% of the time out <laughs> out here in the office and i i haven't reached behind that door in in several years there's stuff hiding back there you might so want to there, yeah. 
So, I mean, okay, so the Philip Hue is the gateway drug, which I, I swear is yeah. true about a lot of things. Now you've got the smart, yeah, yeah. The, you said the smart things hub, right? That's, yeah, and that's, so also in the sort of practical sense, like there are so many different ways that you can do it. And as a, as a, you know, technology guy, I've want, I had wanted to have like, think like, how can I go the most open? Right, right, I don't right. want to. I don't want to go into one hub land, um, but I also don't want to go into multi-hub land, which is what, at least when I first had the hue, that was what was necessary. I'm right. sure that the new ones are able to talk to some of these hubs, right? But I did. I'm. I've come around more, kind of on the. I used to be a, a build my own computer guy, also, right? <laughs> and I have. I buy a Mac and I don't change anything about it. So, uh, and I buy into that sort of ecosystem. So, and that's really, it's the, that's the practical as aspect again. It's like, how can I get like actual benefits from this that don't take a bunch of my time and, uh, and decrease my stress other than perhaps when I'm rewiring the, <laughs> the, <laughs> The wires. So but, what are you using uh, as your primary platform then? Are you are you using the oh I think it's called the Mac home, Apple home, or are you using like so, the, no, the smart, suite? Smart, smart smart things is the it's a Samsung okay. product. So, so the smart things hub is is our primary one. We we do have we have several um Amazon Echo. I won't say the name of it because it'll wake one up right now. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> Amazon Echo devices, so those are pretty well plugged into uh, to everything too. It probably could be the could could be the central piece. Um, some of the things we have some buttons, so I think that's pretty Samsung specific right now. Uh, like a, at least the buttons that we use. It's like so a wireless it's a physical button. Okay. Yeah. So um, there is one in the house right by the the door to go out but not reachable from anyone who uh who is outside of our house so don't think about hitting the button from outside of our house security first uh, we have a few of these buttons one of them is on the way toward the office and it unlocks the office for us and we can also use it with a double push to lock the office which is useful in the middle of winter in Portland when it's pouring down rain and we look out and we still see the lights on out here because remember the lights out here mean that it's unlocked because we have another system that does that. So to us lights on, I mean, the, the only way that the lights are ever on out here. So I was just going to ask about the feedback on the button. There is no feedback on, or you don't need the feedback on it because you just look out the door and see the lights on. Exactly. Got yep. It. And so double, uh, double push and look, and it usually takes a couple seconds and then the lights go off. And that means that, I mean, the lights went off because the door locked. So because there's an automation for that, I can just release that, uh, that concern. Uh, and then we also have uh, a, a button in our bedroom to turn off our, our lights. So from bed, so you, no, uh, no tripping over things on the way, <laughs> on the way to bed. So it's like a and, one shot uh, to shut everything down. We're we're we're, we're shutting yeah, down the farm for exactly. the night, basically. Yep, yep. And have a similar one in our uh, in our guest space, so that uh, guests can have the same the same experience. The kids though are on their own. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna have to learn. They're gonna have to become technologists themselves, so they want to implement some of this IoT for them, right? <laughs> That's that. That's that's, that's some good right. parenting right there. That's some hard loving. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> and uh, but you know, interesting that you mentioned that sort of like coding your own because I've got somewhere in here I have a Raspberry Pi or two. Right. Right. Like that was that was uh, the the uh, events uh, gift du jour, right? Of, uh, <laughs> Ten years ago. That's true. Um, and I've and I have I've definitely played with those uh which by the way i think it's it's an interesting developer insight sorry i'm going back to no, the no, no, business side interesting developer insight that we use the word play 
when we talk about using some technology for the first time. If you notice, developers will well, say that there's it's interesting that that is the word choice. So this is kind of funny. When I was when I was doing developer marketing um, for for a rather large company, my CMO loved this one thing that I used to say about developers, which is that. You know, the only way that developers actually learn anything is to break shit, play with it, break it, and fix it. You got to break shit, and then you got to fix it. You yeah. learn more out of breaking something. Why did this go wrong? What did I do? How do I go in and dig through this? I got to look at the logs. I got to look at the error codes. I got to figure this stuff out. Oh, it's because I misunderstood this. And all of a sudden, they get it again. You got to play with it, break shit, and fix it. That's the best way to learn anything. Yeah. Test-driven development is... Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Is built on that exact concept, right? Yeah. yeah. Start off with broken uh, code and then go back and run all your tests so, until it works. Yeah. So, uh, so I had played with a bunch of those sort of devices. And, you know, at one time, so because this is detached, this office, we, we have a heater. It's not connected to the central air, right, of, of the main house. And so there's a heater out here and we need it in the winter. But sometimes it gets too hot and then, you know, we turn it off, but then it gets too cold. Well, there, like, there's, there, there's a, a way that that is solved, right? With Thermostat. thermostats. Yeah. <laughs> PI uh, controllers. <laughs> uh, and so I, I'm going to build that with one of these like IOT devices. You know, it was, I think it was a, a, uh, a competitor to the Raspberry Pi hmm. that I did it with. Um, whose name I forget, but I had a, I had a temperature module that I put onto it and I, you know, set it up to, to, to read that. And then I created a zap actually, cause I was at Zapier at the time. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to have it go every hour and see what the temperature is. And I mean, pretty simple, like a thermostat, right? If it's <laughs> at the level that I want, it turns it off. And if it's below that, I, it turns it on. But that thing was so buggy and so, so hard. And, you know, I mean, there are existing thermostats, and that's probably <laughs> the solution here is a heater out here that has, has one of those. And so that's where, you know, I've, that's another example of the, like, the practical, even though I am a dev and, like, it was fun to play with that that uh, local API that, uh, you know, that that had to be able to do that. And I mean, that was the same, the Phillips hue, you could, could play with that and, and dig into it. But, you know, like, honestly, for the things that are going to have the greatest impact <laughs> most of the time, it's like it not, not overcomplicating it was, yeah. <laughs> was the better choice for me. You're, you want to get to the results, you know, you actually want this yes, thing to yeah. work, but I mean, yeah. here's the challenge with a lot of this. So like, I, cause I've, I'm in the process of, of thinking this through. And every time I get close to saying, I'm going to start doing automation, I kind of realize like, you know, to use your example, I can unlock the door myself. I can, I can, you know, I can reach around. It's not that hard to reach around the door to turn them. I don't care if I'm stumbling a little bit, you know, it's not, or, or, you know, worst case scenario, I just rewire it. So it goes to the other side of the door. Right. I mean, yeah. it's when I start digging into some of these home automation situations, I start to kind of realize there's some of them that I care about and some of them I don't care about. So like, how are, how are you, hmm, how are you deciding what to automate and what is, what is really the driver behind this? Is it just like, oh, this is cool. I can push a button and all the lights go out. Or do you see additional value coming out of this? And that's why you're, you're gung ho on the results. Yeah. I, uh, I, when I think about it, still get delighted that I haven't had to flip that light on in years. I mean, that is cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it was it was like just a, a little bit of friction in my day multiple times a day. Yeah. And actually what I didn't mention also at that time was this light that's on behind me was already controlled um, with a Wemo, I think. Just for and folks so, at home, we're we're on a video call yeah. and so you can't see <laughs> yeah. this. He's actually pointing. He's got this lovely uh, every developer logo light hanging on the wall behind him. And in college, by the way, I, I did a, a puppet show radio. So uh, so I appreciate you. Uh, you <laughs> puppet you show radio. So you know it's it's uh, 
there are some things that just don't translate to radio I, and that is one of them so i appreciate you helping people uh, recognize, <laughs> recognize what's what's behind me uh but so every time i would come in not only would i have to reach behind that door and flick on the light but i chose to have this other light come on i didn't have to push a button for it but i would talk to that the robot that i won't mention still and tell it to turn on the light and that was it was like this routine that just like just felt like oh it's this thing that i have to do every time but it it doesn't have to be that way and so i think that's the that's the feeling that i go that i go for that isn't solved by oh hey the lights are red and green uh you know right like <laughs> the the fancy sort of stuff right that doesn't i mean that will be fun but so it's not but it the, has like, a limit and it's, it's oh, there's only so much personalization does, yeah. you can get out of that. And this is what I'm hearing you say is like it's more there's a cool factor to it for certain, but it's about controlling your environment in a in a consistent way with the least amount of friction. Yeah. Which yep. with all the conversation we've had today about developer marketing and developer experience, like I mean it's the same it, concept, isn't it? It's, right. It it is, yeah, and it's uh, so to have uh, the m most recent example, which again was wiring of of lights, but it started with a problem like good developer content should. Right. Uh, it was in our basements. I before like at the end of the night or before we left, I did the. It's the classic dad thing. Dad walks around the house and turns off lights before you leave, <laughs> and. The basement myself just especially was <laughs> was yeah, was one that uh you know I have to walk downstairs and there were three separate areas that had had light switches so I like so I again found myself doing like this same sort of physical thing of like you know moving side to side to hit these lights <laughs> and again I realized this problem is solvable and it delights me now to stand at the top of the stairs and hit the off button and have the others just go off with it and know that uh, that, that can be the... Because many times at the end of the night, honestly, I would just leave the basement lights on. Mm. But mm -hmm. now I can make the world a better place by <laughs> automatically turning them off. Stop wasting that energy, man. <laughs> Now, how much like you're using? I know some of it's wireless, but I mean, like when we're talking about the basement lights and stuff, are those wireless? Like, how much crawling on your belly to connect wires and stuff did you have? To, did you go digging through the attic? Go, you know, run run cable or anything? No, no, these were replacing uh, existing switches with internet connected switches. That so are wireless connected, wirelessly so, connected. They are, they speak to the to the smart things hub. Got it. Okay, but they still work as normal electrical light switches, which was an, an important piece. Uh, similar to uh, all of our our door locks, which are connected, still have keys. That's good. We might not know where all of the keys are, <laughs> but that's, that's problematic. Okay, but uh. <laughs> But at least there's that there's that backup, and that was one of those things when I think the August first came out that everyone loved it because it was beautiful. It was this that it had no holes on it, right? It's just this thing. It's the just August. Like, what is this? It's it was an uh, it was a light or not a light a lock that came out on and it had a Kickstarter or something oh, like got that. It. Okay, I mean, this okay. is this is back a while, but it was just it. When your phone is is in your pocket and you walk up, it just unlocks, and it sounds wonderful. It sounds like the sort of thing that I should like because of the you know my talking about about friction bad, right? If I don't want to reach around the thing, I also don't want to type in a code. Oh my gosh! Uh, but there's just no backup to that. Right. So like, oh, I left my phone inside. Oh, that's too bad. You wait till <laughs> wait till. Whoever you live with that also has a phone comes <laughs> comes up, right? What's the what's the fallback uh, in that? And 
it's it's again i'm thinking like a developer right so that's that's so, wise right uh what's your redundancy so for, plan there for us yes exactly yeah uh and so yeah so making sure so there's a code yeah it talks to the thing but like if something happens there is still the old fashioned way a key so for the light switch it still talks to the breaker and gets its <laughs> gets its power and is connected the same way that like relay switches or whatever they're called the you know that where you can you can switch them at they can two switches oh, control two, one light yeah the two, switch, uh, two like it switches. still still works that way nice. um the way that the electrician did whenever the house <laughs> was built or whenever that the <laughs> lights in the basement stairway were set up but then i get this added layer of of uh internet and that's that's like the right level for me to be able to to get some joy out of out of this automation but uh but not have to entirely rely on it now you're bought into the smart things ecosystem does that limit you in any way being a part of any particular ecosystem because there's the whole oh, i want to think there's the ha suite i believe it stands for home automation it's an open source suite that's supposed to be able to interface with a lot of these tools as well have, right like have you are you do you feel limited by the smart things ecosystem and have you looked at all into some of these open ecosystems to mitigate that so it does tap into some of those uh, different um, different protocols and things like you can use a Zigbee or a or a Wi-Fi, I think. Um, and so it does a little bit of that. It's de- but it definitely there are some that it's just locked into. And one of the ones, one of the reasons that I started thinking, oh, could Amazon be something that actually can connect to everything? Is I got some Amazon plugs but there is not a way to connect them into my smart things world where I've already kind of gone. And so it's like, you have to, there are some hacks for connect for like bridging those two worlds together and they are very hacky. And, um, and it's as someone who likes to hack things, I do think about and have, have attempted it. Uh, But also going back to that, I sure just wish it kind of would work together. Yeah. Like there's a little bit of buying into the ecosystem and yes, at some point it might be switching ecosystems. I haven't mentioned, I've had multiple hubs throughout the years. Sure. Uh, there was one called a wink. Uh, uh, and it didn't, uh, <laughs> it didn't pan out. It was hard to use uh, things with it, hard to get it set up. It, did you ever yeah, play with the old I, X10 systems that went and ran over the power I, lines? I I did not, but I have heard I've heard of they were fun. Heard stories, so yeah. <laughs> they so, were a lot of fun to play with. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun yeah. to hack a it was fun to hack a um, network that literally ran over your 60 hertz power lines. That was mm-hmm. a lot of fun to play with. Yeah. Where do you expect to take this? Like do you see like, is your home automation plan just to kind of expand it and, and, and reduce some of this friction? Or, like, do you, in your, in your, part of the, part of the challenge that you've brought up here is the fact that, like, there's a lot to hack. There's a lot to play with. There's a lot of directions to go. But, I mean, we're people with responsibilities, families, jobs, kids, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Like, they get in the way of all of this kind of fun. So, I mean, with that limitation in mind, like, what are your, your big plans for home automation. Are you planning on getting yeah. everything connected? Are you, you know, going to have a Grafana dashboard that shows like yeah. temperature <laughs> over time and, you know, like internet usage and power usage? Like how deep do you want to go? Oh, that's, that's a good idea. Can I, do you have a repo that I can give me a little time? I'd be able to work on that. I, again, it's comes back to wanting to be practical and, one of the one of the stories that I think about uh, was someone. He was, an, I think, an early investor in Twitter, and I it was a friend of a friend. And he post IPO bought his bought his Twitter house, and <laughs> put every last bulb as a Philips Hue. Oh wow! And then quickly learned that the protocol just can't handle that much 
like there was there was too much uh noise in the signal and so beautiful automations that should happen were just not happening there'd be like three of the four bulbs go on or you know something even worse something doesn't go off right and so you think that you've turned it off and you got this lone bulb there and that just happens all over the place and so i think kind of the uh, granted that was a while ago but sure. still the the sort of that's the that's there for me as the like beware of the of the all in because it could be it could be more stress not less and that's the like so i'm trying to look at the areas where where it's uh where it decreases stress so things like um blinds that automatically lower and and raise have not been an issue for me that's not a that's not a spot i know they exist it some of the videos look cool um but you know that's not that's not one that i'm pursuing right now because it hasn't kind of spoken out as a you have any windows as a problem like just coming beaming right in during the morning when you're trying to like wake up or (laughs) anything like that (laughs) probably that that so Probably that one has has a blind on it most of the time. Oh, it's probably enough. probably the answer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I mean, you're not you're not yeah. looking at going all in, but you know, are you going to expand much beyond playing with the lights? I'm 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 just kind of taking it one at a time right now. Yeah. Nice. So so and the lights are the things that are that are hitting me and the spots that you know where I have that sort of daily. Uh, daily issue. Oh, I didn't mention our we. So another purchase recently is a hot water kettle that that uh, can yeah, we can tell kettle. the we we can yeah we can tell the robot to start start boiling that. And as long as there's water in it, now that's the next <laughs> the next problem. We ha- have to have a yeah. self filling kettle is the next problem. But still being able to have that. So we have gone beyond uh, beyond lights. So we've got that. Um, but that's not really connected to much more than my voice though. You know, you don't have to think too far to think, Oh, is there something that could know when I move between the hours that I typically would wake up Yeah, and can just start it automatically? Like have maybe have that's some the kind next of morning step. Routine. So yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so that could, that could be coming. Yeah. But, but again, just trying to look first at the, uh, <laughs> at the problems and, and just solve those ones. Yeah. So not, not the full Jetson's house, like Jetson light. <laughs> That's right. Jetson yeah. light. And with, 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 <clears throat> with, with she who shall not be named. Otherwise we might trigger her uh, <laughs> instead of Rosie. I get that. That's yeah. fair. Oh, well, cool. Well, that's, Hey, look, you know, it, uh, it's like I said, this is something that I've been looking into myself. Um, like some of the things I wanted to do is, you know, make it easy. Talking about the automatically opening the door lock, like I thought it'd be cool to have like open CV, look at the camera that I've got pointing at my driveway. And when it detects that my wife's car is here, yeah. you know, unlock the door for her. Because if I'm here by myself, I have a tendency to lock the door because I just don't think about it and it drives her nuts and yeah. blah, 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 blah. But like then running all of that and, and, the wireless, it's just easier for me to get up and lock the door for her, you know? <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, one one project that I've been thinking about a lot that may boost me into getting into this is running my house uh, with uh, with wire, uh, actually putting Ethernet through everything. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Everything here is Wi-Fi. So, yeah. and, and you yep. know, as, as we've seen uh, during this talk, it's it gets spotty sometimes. Every once in a while, it kind of, you know, jumps up and down, and especially as I'm doing more intensive work um i need to have that bandwidth and my son is now you know old enough that he's sucking up all the wi-fi on the xbox yeah (laughs) so every every time he comes home from school it's like everything slows to a crawl i'm like oh yeah he's playing he's playing some game i gotta go fix that so that's we had we had to get this in ahead of that then right right yeah (laughs) that's that's what i'm telling you get on how you got to get in yeah before before they start taking over because you've got i think you've got two at least so (laughs) yeah Yeah. no in my case i've got to i've got to go and lay that and then you know as i go and lay that cable hopefully that'll open opportunities to plug in iot is that something that you're looking at upgrading the house's wiring technology for any of this or 
I I have not. Yeah, that's that's going a whole other level. Uh, yeah. So not so far have not had to. I did briefly look into extending uh, some like wires into the attic kind of space mm-hmm. but uh quickly found a more practical solution so that right. <laughs> that's that tends to be tends to be how, how i'm going so so far i have not uh laid any new wire it's it's all connecting into existing pragmatism wins the day i yeah, love it that's right i love it well, and, you know what actually that's a great way to end this because i mean that's that really is the message across the board that we've had here it's i mean pragmatism wins the day do what's best for your customers. Do what's best for your family. Do what's best for everyone, and make it, it it'll work out. Like, pay attention to that. No, yeah, it's not about the hype. It's about authenticity. It's about that's making right. sure that you're helping folks. Hey, Adam, that's it, that's great. Oh, it's so so good to talk to you. Great to reconnect. Um, thank you so much for the conversation. I appreciate it. this. Has been incredibly thank you as well. Hey, have a great. Yeah. I love Adam's practical approach to everything. I'm not looking forward to crawling around in my attic, but this conversation is inspiring me to get a move on wiring up my house. To contact Adam and, hey, hire him to help your team refine your developer marketing, visit everydeveloper.com. All the links we talked about and everything else are in our show notes. Thank you, Adam, for taking the time to chat with me. And thank you for inviting us to spend time between your ears. Talk to you next time. The Compiling Podcast is produced, written, published, hosted, and copyrighted by Rob Sisweta. All opinions expressed belong to the individuals expressing them and not necessarily the organizations to which they belong. To find show notes and listen to additional episodes, please visit compiling.publicgeeking.com. Talk to you soon!